Managing and protecting the world's grueling number of endpoints, enabling Tanium's customers to see, control, and protect every endpoint everywhere. Tanium's mission is to provide certainty in uncertain times with the industry's only converged endpoint management. Trusted by the U.S. military and the majority of the Fortune 100, today, Tanium helps manage and protect nearly 30 million endpoints. Tanium, the power of certainty. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash Tanium to learn more. According to the 2022 Data Breach Investigations Report, the human remains the number one driver of breaches today, demonstrating that cybersecurity is no longer just a technical challenge, but a human one as well. But how do you manage the human risks of cybersecurity? It starts with measurement. Only by effectively quantifying human risk can organizations engage employees with relevant activities to truly change human behavior. That's human risk management. Map key human behaviors to the business risks that matter most to your organization for free by visiting securityweekly.com forward slash living security. Welcome back to Business Security Weekly. I am your host, Matt Alderman, joined by Jason Albuquerque and Tyler Robinson. We'd like to invite our listeners to be part of our 2023 SC Awards. Our prestigious and competitive SC Awards program recognizes outstanding innovations, organizations, and leaders that are advancing the practice of information security. This year, there are awards in 36 categories up for grabs, including Best IT Security-Related Training Program, Innovator of the Year, Best SASE Solution, and more. We'd love to see your company in the spotlight. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash SC awards to submit your entries by March 13th. All right, gentlemen, articles of the week. All right. Uh, a lot of leadership articles this week. It was interesting as I was going through um, my normal uh, set of sources. I was like, wow, this is really heavy on leadership. I think I know why. Like, you know, when you think about, we talk about this a lot, right? When you just think about the environment we're in, just the leadership skills are so important to get us through some of these transitions. And I think it's just important that we reiterate what what is good leadership, what's not good leadership. The subtraction one that we're going to get to was really interesting to mm-hmm. me to think about those things that you just take off your plate as a leader yep. to make you more effective because – Typically, just more stuff piles on us. So let, let's dig into it. We'll get into the first one. Um, this one's on, this one's kind of more broad based. Cybersecurity risk could be inside your organization. R- really? You, yeah. You, you don't say. I think this one is important. <laughs> yeah. you, know, you know what, though? I, I appreciated this article being in the list because, you know, we're, we're in an environment right now where there's so many pressures on the business, right? whether it's financial pressures on the business, it's being able to get good talent, good workforce. Um, you know, there's, there's client pressures and regulatory pressures. We know all of these pressures coming out on the business. Um, the skill of being a good leader, not only within your team, but across the entire organization to be able to evangelize for cybersecurity and the program and the practice it's imperative right now because there's so many folks who are running a thousand miles an hour trying to get their job done as well as probably the job of three other people because, you know, the workforce is slimming down. Right. So Mm -hmm. they're probably doing three people's jobs at this point in time. You have to be able to prioritize being an organizational leader, not just a leader to your team. Right. So as a cybersecurity leader, you need to be in front of the entire staff. 
And the points in this article are great, right? It's, and this, this is, again, think of it organizationally. You have to get employees to trust, right? Trust the program, trust your, your leadership style, be able to trust your department to help when things are going sideways. You know, that's a very, very key thing. Trust that your organization is protecting your personal information because guess what? You're in an HR database somewhere. Your, your information is, is there within the organization. Um, you know, these bullet points here are critical for a leader, especially in these hard times. So, uh, you know, I think going through them are important. You know, again, prioritize employee trust and privacy, collaborate across functions, right? Be working with the other teams, be working with the other departments, get your name out there with, within the, within the organization and, and realize that your employees are that first and last line of defense. That's huge. I always say on this show, you know, you're winning when you have an intern raise their hand to the security team and say, I think something smells fishy here. You're winning, right? Because now they feel comfortable. They trust the organization. They're not going to get their hand slapped for a false positive, right? Yeah. That's trust. That is a trusting organization. The last one I would adjust a little bit. I mean, use machine learning tools to do more with less. I, I would say find operational efficiencies any way you can, right? But don't, don't just lean on those tools. And it's not just machine learning. There's a lot to that. Um, so that one's a little kludgy, but you know, the other, the other three are dead on. Yeah. In the reason I think number three is an interesting one to me is how do we treat employees as both the first and last lines of defense, right? Because I, you know, when you look at some organizations, they use a stick mentality versus a carrot mentality, yep. right? That's hard to build trust, trust when you're using the stick, Right. And 100%. so how do you balance that so that those lines defenses trust you to do the right thing at the right time? Like that's a really important piece here when you think about tying them together. Um, and I think that's really, it's just an important piece. That's why one of the reasons at Living Security, we don't just track risky behaviors. We look at vigilant behaviors because mm -hmm. you want to reward people for doing the right Absolutely. things, and, and, right? And so you've got to be able to do that if you're going to continue to build that trust. And I had the same thing with number four, right? Use technology the most efficient way to optimize and automate where you can. It's not just machine learning. It could be whatever. But I think the challenge is, and, and Terry touched on this a little bit earlier, around the risk metrics. Everybody wants a risk metric to use. The challenge is you can't have seven different risk metrics. How do you create a cohesive like kind of risk metric across all these systems that you can use to baseline yourselves and understand whether you're improving or not. We still have a lot of work to do in this space uh, around some really good risk metrics. I would almost not highlight the ML stuff as much as I am. Just give me an effective way to measure risk that I can mm -hmm. use across the organization to baseline ourselves and know whether we're making improvements or not. That's it. And I, I think it is a, a critical time for most organizations to get this insider uh, strategy, this ins insider risk profile built. However, most of the ones I'm seeing have done this wrong, and they've done this wrong over, over years. It's not just the current atmosphere, but the current atmosphere and the culture that you're trying to build, it's very, very difficult to do this right. And if you do make some of these mistakes, you're going you're gonna to push people out. 
you're going to lose effective and trustworthy employees. So a lot of these tips in here from a insider risk program and insider risk program building uh, are things you need to pay attention to. Do this with the carrot. Make sure that you're establishing trust. Do the collaboration. All those things from an insider risk, not, not doing witch hunts and looking at individuals uh, and going after all of those things that people may be doing wrong and not knowing, uh, that, that targeted stuff really becomes difficult to build that that culture and environment, in, especially mm-hmm. in today's political yeah. climate. So make sure you're doing these right. This is a great article. Uh, I mean, guys, this, this, fall, this falls right into being a servant leader, right? Because you're there to serve the organization. One of the biggest pet, pet peeves that I've ever had is when you have an employee raise their hand suspect some type of risk within the organization. If you find out it's a false positive and then you're not rewarding that person, you're actually doing the opposite and badgering them for a false positive. Oh, you painted my butt. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Sending this to me. No, still reward those folks. You want them raising their hand, Mm -hmm. right? I would rather have someone say to me, I think I smell a fire. than just be quiet and hope it's not really a fire. <laughs> right? I want some right. I, I want someone to let me know something may be going on. If it's a false positive, so be it. Reward the behavior for raising their hand. That's an awesome thing to be doing. Yeah. You want people to report things that look malicious. It creates the right culture, also creates the trust, right? These are yeah. these are circular 100%. loops. Yeah. Say yeah. thank you. At the end of the day, all it takes is a thank you. It may have been a false yeah. positive, but say thank you. Thank you. <laughs> That's all well, it takes. All right. NIST Cybersecurity Framework 2.0 updates coming your way. Um, probably long overdue for some. Um, you know, w- when you look at the, the past, what, three plus years now on the supply chain side of the house, yes. Yes. Uh, there's a, what, I, what I took away from this article to summarize it is a strong reliance on risk management is what I took out of this, right? Supply chain risk, third-party risk, governance reforms that require good risk management principles. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, you know, risk is a big part of the conversations we have on this show all the time. Yep. And sometimes yep. what happens with these frameworks is we get so wrapped around the axle with the actual controls and the technology that we forget about how risk should be driving these frameworks right. to do a better job. That's right. Yeah. The intent, the intent of the framework, right? The intent of the framework mm-hmm. is to minimize risk. Um, I took a little bit deeper of a dive into the governance side and just looking into it, I'm actually happy with that piece big time because part of the governance side of the aisle is putting more responsibility on the executive leadership of your organization to actually govern a cybersecurity program at that highest level. That to me is outstanding. <laughs> that we needed, right? We needed to pull mm-hmm. governance out of the mix of the five domains and make it its own. So that way, C-level executives, board of directors, CEOs can sit back and say, I own accountability for this. Mm-hmm. Right? So that governance piece is yeah. there's a There's a lot of... 
there's a lot of emphasis on that that measuring and assessment piece too with inside of this, allowing you to figure out what your risk is for a third party or a supply chain. We're bringing it out of the, the fringes of things that we didn't actually think of from a risk standpoint, or maybe we did, but it was not part of the framework. This framework's very heavily used. So that third party, the supply chain, and even the human element got brought yeah. into this as part of kind of that evaluation of what your risks are. So measuring and doing assessments against each of those domains, I think, and is considering, important. I mean, there's it's benchmarks. A, a good update, it, right, Tyler? Yeah. There's some benchmarks in there too. So that may yeah. help us yeah. with the KPIs there, Matt. Right on yeah. managing risks. So maybe maybe this can help standardize some some metrics across organizations, across verticals, and and at least give us a baseline to work with. So. Uh, in all honesty, very pleased with the changes, the updates. I mean, obviously the devil's in the detail and I haven't, I haven't completely dug in, but you know, it's, it's looking promising. Yeah, I'm hoping they keep this one up to yeah. date a little bit better, especially with some of the sys involvement happening. It may, I think it may start to, to be more regularly updated in intervals that make sense, but there's a lot coming out with all yep. the sys yep. advisories too. So I don't see how they integrate all that into a framework right. as well. So well and remember we'll a lot of this comes from the government mandates down to build these standards to then push out and get broad adoption. As the administration has pushed more and more on the cybersecurity agenda, you're you're seeing more and more of this from CISA. It's can NIST now keep up with the changing landscapes in these frameworks because it's been a while since we've updated the framework and these are some overdue updates. Like I said, it's it's probably been a good three plus years just on the supply chain discussions alone, right? So I to your point, Tyler, I'd like to see more iteration on this over time so it doesn't get so stale. Yeah. All right. The next three articles are all around leadership. And they, there's some interesting overlaps in these three articles, but I brought them all to the forefront um, because I thought it was, it was a good set of articles to really talk about. Uh, the first one is the importance of leadership kind of defines what it is. You know, I, I, I skipped some of the um, early stages, but I, I was curious, Jason, um, some of the qualities of good leaders, and they list them out, but they only listed them in alphabetical order. And I'm just wondering if you thought about how you would reorder <laughs> these qualities. Don't, don't I always think about the order of things? <laughs> I mean, in all honesty, it's, it, it is. I think order is important, especially in these type of articles, right? So you can, you can talk about, you know, what, what the most important portions of this is, but, um, right. you know, n number, uh, you know, I take empower others and I always put that close to the top, if not top. My job as a leader, and I say this all the time, is to teach you, you know, you, you, you work for me to teach you how to take my job. I need to empower you to do that, right? Mm -hmm. That's my job. If I'm going to be a mentor, if you're going to be learning from me, my job is to empower you to fill my shoes once I go on to my next best thing. So empowerment is, is huge. That's top, top, top for me. Um, you know, listening is, is second, right? You always have to be a good listener, especially um, if you want to be able to um, be able to take feedback from, um, from your staff and be able to, to exercise that feedback in, in the way you execute as a leader. So that's, that's a second for me. Um, let's see. What's a good third? Inspire others? Yeah. Yeah. Inspire. I mean, inspire others. Yeah. Inspire others is a good one. Um, yeah, I mean, that's obviously as a leader, you definitely want to be, be an inspiration, you know? I, yeah. I sat back and I, I, I'm, 
I'm juggling with find your passion and inspire others because without passion, you're not going to be inspirational. So I'm, True. you know, I was focused on find your passion when I was, uh, when I was just thinking. So I almost say find your passion, then inspire others. If that makes sense. Okay. Because if, if you haven't found right. your own passion, how can you be inspirational? Right. And take on more responsibilities isn't always the best leadership quality, by the way. Is, uh, I honestly is think that's, our, dead, that, that's probably dead last. Dead last. Yeah, especially when we get to the, not the next article, the but the article no. after that. Yeah, exactly yeah, right. I mean, so some of these at resolve conflict, I mean, those are, those are tactical things, right? Right. You know, I look at those as more tactical items. They're not strategic items, um, you know, because I think if you know how to listen and you can inspire others and, you know, you're a good mentor, you can help resolve conflict as part of those other qualities and characteristics. It'll, it'll just become a little bit more natural to do that. So. Yeah, some yeah. of these are a little tactical. Those those are people issues versus the tactic yeah. side of it. People come first, then other things right. come after that. It's your empathy and and awareness and, and listening and all the the other things that do people things, uh, and then you can actually do the other leadership qualities that that tie into those. I think without the people first, you're really you're really behind the curve, and you're not going to affect much change that's lasting or. Permanent. I'll tell you one of the things I did love about this article. There are a couple of um, images in there. One of them where it was the 11 themes of servant leadership and the other one was toxic leadership. Yep. That's a good, um, you know, those are two different dichotomies that are good to look at. And, you know, take a look at what a toxic leader is, is built with and make sure that's not embedded in your leadership style. And then look at servant leadership and, and, and really focus on that because that's what it's all about when you get to that level. Right. It's serving the folks who work for you. It's serving your clients. It's serving the organization. That's why you've been put in this role. I'm a yep. firm believer in servant leadership. Yeah. So this one ties into the next one, which is uh, leadership facets to drive success. Now, this one's really focused more on kind of the virtual leadership skills, mm -hmm. um, which is interesting. Some really good tips and tricks in here. Um, I think the premise around this is just there's so many people remote. How do you become an effective virtual leader? Because look, I, I I struggle with it daily, Jason. I don't I don't know how often you get into the office. I see the team face to face maybe once a month in in person, right? So it's it's a struggle some days to be an effective leader in a virtual environment, and it's not just being on Zoom calls, right? It's right. It's right. what are those other things to continue to help your team be successful when when you're not together? That it's still a challenge, I think. It, it is, and I mean this this article highlights the fact that some of those more I'll call them old school leadership styles and tactics will not work. Right. You know, if you're a transactional leader, you're going to epically fail in a remote scenario, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you would fail. It would take longer. You know, it'd be a longer road to failure, maybe in person. You're going to fail fast in a remote scenario if you're transactional. If you're authoritarian, you're going to fail fast in a remote scenario. Yep. You know, the, the third one here was, uh, you know, the ability to delegate, delegative. Um, that comes with balance, right? I mean, you can't be a leader that dumps everything on your staff and walks away and becomes a, you know, a figurehead leader. That's, that's not good balance, right? That, that erodes trust. So that's, you got to have some balance there, but the successful leaders will be transformational and they're going to participate very deeply in the team. 
they they also have to be able to read their read their different uh, individual employees and or uh, groups and units mm-hmm. separately because you may have a group that is a bunch of millennials and uh, their transactional uh, and interaction is going to be very yeah. much uh, different than the the older older generation or, or even the newer newer generation you have to understand how these generations like to communicate, understand the psychology. And then that really starts with building relationship and rapport. And that means interacting and engaging. So kind of this all starts at the beginning, but you have to bring that circular so you do this more yeah. effectively and efficiently. Yeah, to, to your point, Tyler, emotional intelligence is going to be critical for leaders <laughs> you know, moving forward. Again, the, the, the different generations of workforce that are out there right now, yeah. coupled with the pressures of being remote, the, the personal issues that folks are having from being a remote. I mean, I've seen a difference in, in, in the psychology of the workforce these days being remote and being secluded. It's definitely having an effect on the workforce. So how do we get back on, on track? You know, it's, you know, I'm, I'm looking at, you know, you guys know I'm, I'm deeply impassioned by mental health, right? We don't want burnout on our teams. We want to make sure that, that our folks are doing well from a mental health perspective. Anxiety's through the roof these days. Stress is through the roof these days. And I, I, I'm almost saying a lot of it has to do with cabin fever. We've all been stuck in our home offices for so long. I think, I think it's playing a role here, you know, and we're, I think we're, it's going to, we're going to see this uh, end product, you know, teasing out here in the next few years of all of this cabin fever and remote workforce mm-hmm. from a, a mental health perspective. Oh, yeah. And uh, if we don't do something about it, quick, yeah, that's, that's it's going to go off the rails. Yeah, that's going to be a very, a very delicate conversation because a lot of companies have embraced mm-hmm. this remote work as yeah. a benefit and also a cost saving. So it's been a, it's been a win win on both sides uh, in certain stances. But from that, we really once we start to figure out that we have to bring that back into balance, just like all things in yeah. life, everything has to be balanced. Uh, some of those conferences and some of the the payout in order for team building and, and connection and uh, meeting in person, all those things are going to come at a cost, but at a cost that has to be measured uh, for the mental health and the, uh, I would say, retention. You talk yeah. about how much it costs to bring on a new employee, that retention cost, uh, all those things will, will come back into play. And I think getting back to a more balanced state will uh, will be this year, probably next year, more likely, a uh, big conversation. In, in the social leaders. aspect of the workplace, there are so many folks that you know I can be on remote meetings with and they're engaged and they talk because they're on video chat. We have a meeting in the office and they're quiet they're to themselves. Hmm. Right. So it's, a, it's this strange dichotomy that happens that, you know, being in a physically social environment and how personality can change really quick. We have to fix that. We have yeah. to fix that. Yeah. I mean, I know we spend a lot of time making sure we get together at least, you mm. know, on a quarterly basis, everybody together, but got to the point where, Hashler CEO, she's like, wait a minute. Why aren't we doing customer visits? Like, why we should be getting yeah. on planes and going sit down face to face with our customers? Yeah. Like, we've been doing this for so long. So we're gonna start to see more of that, I think, this year as people have gotten kind of settled back into the workplace. Like, which is good. Let's, let's go meet clients where they are. Right. It, it it it's good, but I, you know, I guess my warning is it's gonna feel like a band-aid getting ripped off. In some instances, like I said, right. It's some of those social, some of those social graces we used to have in in a public setting where we're all together. going to seem a little awkward for a little while. (laughs) Yeah. And those darn commutes to the airport are going to suck again. (laughs) Right. (laughs) 
Uh, last of the leadership articles, subtraction, how to be more effective. I love this article. I absolutely I love it loved it. Because I think about just like this morning sitting down, right? Mm-hmm. Mondays are my one of my busiest days because of the podcast. You know, I, I do some of the prep beforehand, Jason, but you know, I, I do my run a show in the morning. I try to get all the article summaries up, but then you've got your normal work day and you're thinking through like all the things you got to get done. And we, we, there's so many things on our plates as leaders. And I, the reason I love this article is like, all right, how do you start, rem- how, what do you start getting rid of and getting this off your plate? And it ties into the previous two articles, which is why I put this in the third slot, is we think about empowering employees and letting go of control and letting the employees take a lead on certain initiatives and things, right? I mean, that. That has a positive impact on both the leader and the yep. team, right? It's like, hello, like, yes, these things work and they can work in tandem if done right. Sure, sure. But you you hit the nail on the head as far as one of the concerns, though, and you said it, control. Yep. In many instances, leaders are not comfortable giving up control. You know, I, I don't know if it was the military, but, you know, my, my leadership mentality started young, right? I mean, mid-20s, I'm like, I want to lead teams. That's it. Like, that's, that's, I, that's the path I know I want to go. And then I, I sat back, like it says in this article, you know, identify the things that are essential, right? And continuously evaluate that. That, for me, meant hands off keyboard more and more. And I realized that young, that hands need to leave keyboard, and I need to become a leader of folks who have hands on keyboard, right? Mm-hmm. So starting to let go of some of that. And then, and then I was very lucky to have a, you know, young in my career, a really, really great CEO and, and mentor who explained to me that at one point in time, and I kind of watched the evolution of this. At one point in time, the CEO had about eight direct reports, eight business unit leaders that reported to him. Mm-hmm. And then quickly he realized that I cannot be good at all of these. I cannot focus on all of this and be the evangelist for the company, and be the innovator for the company, and be the leader to this organization, all of a sudden you saw a consolidation down to three direct reports, and then figuring out a different org structure. So at that level, it showed consolidation of direct reports and responsibilities, right? And then empowering these other leaders to kind of take control of all the other aspects of the business. So that way, it was more manageable for the CEO. Yeah. Right. So that's that's a great case of subtracting, subtracting five areas of responsibility and consolidating them down to three business units within his business. Yeah. Talk about letting go of control. But it was a have to have in order to that's grow a, the organization. That's a, that's a say easy Wicked. too hard, though. Let's, let's, be, let's be real on this. This is this is so much intentional thought, so much mm-hmm. habit building, like the, the power of not just directly saying yes and then being able to realize that you know there has to be priorities and there has to be things that that get pushed down and let go of and and that is a control thing but that is a habit that is formed rather than always taking it on doing it finding places to make things fit like all of those are are very intentional things that uh i think all of us no matter how good we are at the subtraction are yeah Yeah. and and, i mean that was one of the bullets in here continuously evaluate and adjust Right. You always have to be looking at your posture, what you're doing, what you're responsible for, fine-tuning it every single day. Yeah. It, number four was unnecessary, you know, remove unnecessary tasks. I'm going to expand mm-hmm. that. Tasks, 
meetings, direct reports, right? Yeah. Right. Absolutely. That 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 has a huge potential impact on your bandwidth right. <laughs> going forward. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's all about where your where your leadership can be best used, right? Where your focus can be best used. Because if you have too many things on your plate, you're not going to be really good at any of them because you're going to be bleeding, right? Your time, your bandwidth too thin. So if you can, if you can identify where your impact is the best for the organization and the best for your people and focus it there and figure out how you can take those, those other aspects of what you do and, you know, allow other folks within the organization or, or your team to take those over. And then you have oversight on those. You're going to win because you're going to do those three things, five things really, really well. Yeah. That's where you have an impact on the business. Yep. Last article to wrap up today. Um, how to be a good interviewer. The best part of this article for me is about halfway down the top 10 behavior interview questions to ask, because this yeah, is where I struggle. Cool. Like I, I'm serious. Like, yeah, you get on a call, you read the resume, you ask them the basic questions, but how do you really understand how to interview a person and what kind of answers do they give to things that are just outside of like the norm, right? And yeah. so this section in this article was just awesome for me because I was like, oh, those are great questions to really mm -hmm. understand the person you're interviewing. Yeah, th those were great questions. I mean, that first one, was, was awesome. You know, yeah. what's something that you used to believe that you no longer believe that's, I mean, if that doesn't tell you about someone's personality, I don't know what else no. can it, these are great questions. Yep. Um, yeah. but you know, I mean, it does outline some of the things that you need to make sure going into an interview you're prepared for, right? I mean, you know, you can't, yeah. interviews are important. Number one, it's the first impression of that candidate to your organization. So if it's someone that you like and you really want to hire, that first impression matters. So be prepared for that, right? Know a little bit about the candidate. Be focused. I mean, I don't know how many times, you know, I've, I've seen folks on an interview and they're just not focused. And it drives me mental. It drives me absolutely crazy. You know, I've had in, in a past life, I had other department heads bring me in and say, hey, I want you to be part of this interview panel. And you got, you got some of them, you know, clicking away on their keyboard and not even paying attention to the interview. It drives me crazy. You got to be focused. Yeah. Right? You got to know the person you're interviewing. Yeah. And, and the other piece too is the emotional intelligence side. Know the nonverbals. Understand the nonverbals. That's super important, especially when you're doing like video meetings, right? Those nonverbals matter. Yeah. Yeah. Given, given the current uh, situation, I would say this is a great article to read if you're getting interviewed as well. Mm -hmm. These are things you need to be prepared for, things you should be thinking about. And look at it from, from the other standpoint. There's going to be a lot of companies if – Maybe, maybe even the company that is interviewing you, you should uh, pay attention to what they're actually asking. And if this is a place that uh, you have to make a hard decision on, the interview itself may be something to consider as far as like what kind of candidates and how they're screening. Yeah, absolutely. Gentlemen, always a pleasure. Adrian has the helm next week because I got to move into the new place. Thank you, everyone, <laughs> for listening and watching. The crew will see you next week on Business Security Weekly.